Thank you so much for the incredible reaction to this show, including its first episode, and just the show in general. You guys seem to be really excited about this show as a resource for you to find new books and to help digest them even better. Thank you so much for that. And if you want to help support the show, there's two great ways to do it. You can go to fitcast.network and you can either go on the right-hand side, go about halfway down. There's a PayPal tab where you can make a one-time or set up a monthly donation to help me support this show, produce it, cover all the costs of doing said show. And you know, again, there's a lot of work that goes into this stuff, so I would appreciate your support with that. Or you can go to, again, fitcast.network, go to the upper right-hand corner, Click on the Amazon tab. That's going to send you right back to Amazon.com. You can continue to shop, but every single time you buy something through that link, Amazon is going to send a little bit back towards the FitCast network again so it can help me continue to do these shows and make sure I can deliver them to you on a regular basis. Thank you so much for everyone that has been doing that. It means a lot. And again, thank you for your response from this show. I hope we can continue to do it every other week going forward. I'm only going to be able to do it if you guys support the show and help me continue to produce it. Thank you so much. Here's the episode. Everyone and welcome back to the Fitcast Book Club. My name is Kevin Larrabee, and for this episode, we're going to be talking about "The Obstacle Is the Way" by Ryan Holiday. And on this episode, I have one of my favorite people. He's he's been on the the Fitcast a ton, and he has just made a a cross Atlantic trip to a brand new country and a brand new job. That's Nick Winkleman. Nick, how you doing? I'm doing phenomenal. Thanks for having me again, Nick. You your your name comes up a lot in uh, at work. It just just so you know, like we always <laughs> we're always talking, uh, and actually, like at our certifications when we do like our warm up stuff, I'm always like, all right, guys, I'm going to show you like how we teach warm ups, and like this is some of the stuff that we've changed because of of what we saw from from Nick at a Perform Better Summit like last summer. But I'm gonna I'm never gonna do. A good job as Nick. So just make sure after today that you go check out some of Nick's stuff and see how he teaches these speed drills because that's like like I all I can do is try to be a photocopy and it's gonna be like a photocopy of a photocopy. That's the original. You gotta go check out his stuff and see what he's doing. But uh yeah, man, you're you're always doing great stuff and now you're in a whole new position. Like where are you at right now? Yeah, so just about uh, I guess a month ago, as of this weekend, I took a took a new role in Ireland, where I am now the head of athletic performance and science. Bit of a mouthful for the Irish Rugby Football Union. So wow. basically, I'm now living with my entire family and dogs in <laughs> in, in Dublin, and I have the unique opportunity to work with uh, every national team in mm-hmm. rugby. So that's men's, women's, fifteens, and sevens, as well as in the structure here. Uh, oversee our four provincial rugby teams, which are all pro rugby teams, just like any NFL team that play in what's called the Pro 12. Mm -hmm. So I have the opportunity to work with a lot of different strength coaches and support and continue to 
if you would cultivate that coach education bit that I'm somewhat known for, but at the same time, I get in there and support a lot of different teams from a coaching perspective, yeah. as you just alluded to, especially around movement skill development and coaching science. So I'm just humbled to have this opportunity to come out here and just help a lot of people in an awesome sport and definitely in an awesome country. Wow, that's I mean, obviously we're gonna be talking about the book, but this is the first time that I've gotten to chat with you since then. That's that's a that's a gigantic move going from from, from Exos across seas over to a, a literally a, a new country. Is that is that like an incredibly tough decision to, to make or when you got the offer, was it just like, Yeah, this is like a no brainer, it's a great opportunity? Well, you know, I mean, middle of last well, I should back up. Mm-hmm. Ever since I've been traveling and had the opportunity to travel and teach for Exos I started to get the the traveler's bug. And anyone yeah. that's been able to kind of circumnavigate, I know you go to Japan a lot. You know, once you kind of have that in your system, you realize how much the world has to offer and how many mm-hmm. how much cold different cultures have to offer. And for me, looking at my family, looking at me professionally, I've always said, Mark Verstegen and I have chatted about this, that if the opportunity ever arose where I could go overseas, especially to Europe and work with a team, experience a different culture, give that kind of life equity to my family, Mm -hmm. that I would do it. And knowing that I was coming up to the end of the PhD, coming up to my 10th year at Exos, I basically started to look a little bit deeper to see if any of those opportunities would arise. Mm -hmm. And it just so happens that this uh, this position was was offered to me through mutual contacts that I know and I just I couldn't be more excited to step step into the role so in fairness it's something that definitely has been in the back of my mind for a long time and I knew I would only ever step away from Exos if there was an opportunity that I could not have within the the four walls of that great company. Mm-hmm. And Mark Verstegen and the team were so supportive, knowing that this role offered unique features that I couldn't necessarily have gotten right working with Exos. But the great thing is, you know, I have Exos blood in me. It just mm-hmm. now is green. And I'll continue to, to work with Exos, I think, in some form or fashion as long as I live. So it's it's still a huge family affair just now uh, they got a tentacle into irish rugby with me being out here well that's uh that's awesome man congratulations and they're incredibly lucky to to have you out there to to support them and their organization they're gonna be uh you know benefiting greatly from that so i can't wait to see the you know the side effects i can't wait to check it out me too talk about the obstacle is the way this yeah, uh, right? i put I, I put a huge one in front of myself <laughs> and an opportunity to climb it <laughs> Well, I mean, that's, uh, again, the, the, the subject of today's recording is we're going to be talking about this uh, fantastic book. And uh, it was just interesting. Like I was emailing, uh, I emailed Ryan to, to see if I could get him to, to kind of be a part of this this whole like podcast network, like record something with him. And then I find out like he's like hunkered down, finishing a new book right now. Uh, so we're going to be getting a follow-up to uh, The Obstacle is the Way. But before I we, we jump into this, I also want to mention what is really the precursor to this book, which is The Art of Living, um, which is the classical manual on virtue, uh, virtue, happiness, and effectiveness by Epictetus. So um, this is a very short book that you can get from Harper One. Like It's like a $5 book, and it's all of the writings uh, that are kind of alluded to in The Obstacle is the Way as the, kind of the... Um, kind of the, uh, what's the word that I'm looking for? The inspiration uh, for the obstacle is the way. So I really recommend checking that out. It's one of those 
books that is a trifecta, like The Obstacle is the Way, where I have audiobook, I have the paper book, and I have the Kindle book because I'm a nut job. And it's one of those books that I think I should always have with me no matter where I am and what I'm doing. So uh, go check that out. It's The Art of Living. It's really, really cheap. Go pick it up. Uh, okay, so with this book, and uh, kind of like with the previous episode that I did with Tony talking uh, about the previous uh, book that we did, this book is really well broken up into three sections. So uh, those sections being uh, perception, action, and will. So we're going to do our best to kind of break this episode into three pieces and talk about some of the main things that were driven home uh, for us and maybe how we tried to implement them and in what we do and, and maybe how we digested that information. So... Uh, the the book itself is outstanding. As much as we talk about it today, make sure you go pick up this book. I'm already going to spoil things. Like this is one of my favorite books. It's an easy five out of five. Go buy it. No brainer. Uh, go pick it up. And it's like I think I was tweeting uh, tweeting out a couple of days ago. It's like Nick. I think it's like five dollars for the Audible book, and it's like two dollars for the Kindle book. It's easy. Easy. To it see. is. It is. It's a, it's a quick read and one that you don't want to put down. So so where did you find out about this book? Was this a recommendation that you got from someone? And I saw you brought like a huge box of books that you're like, all right, now that I'm like done with this major project, I can now go and, and dig into this huge box of books. When did you pick this up? And I guess who recommended it? Uh, you did, in fact. <laughs> and it's, 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 fu- it's funny that you asked me to come on because I'm like... <laughs> Well, I wonder if Kevin knows that this is one of the million books that he's put on Facebook that says, I awesome. just finished, go go read. So funny enough, your, uh, your, your process is already at work here. So you made the recommendation, but funny enough, I usually kind of follow the rule of three mm-hmm. in that if I, if I get recommended a book uh, by three different people in, in some form or fashion of a short period of time, I'll usually go buy it. Mm-hmm. So I had seen it from you and a number of others. Someone had told me, I saw a post that you know it was becoming the top recommended reading throughout NFL front office and coaches and whatnot. So I thought it would be a great opportunity to jump in. And and this book caught me from the very first page. And and for those that uh, haven't read Ryan Holiday before, you know, he, a lot of his inspiration and some of his direct work has come from Robert Greene. Mm -hmm. And for those that don't know who Robert Greene is, he's written phenomenal books, two most notably being The 48 Laws of Power and mastery. Mm -hmm. And both of them just carry the unbelievable ability to bring a narrative whereby they talk about really old people that have done some (laughs) really cool things and bring it into a a phenomenal modern context. Mm -hmm. So it constantly goes back between storytelling and strategy delivery. And I think Robert Greene and Ryan Holiday really own that writing style and that's some of the reasons why I felt uh, imp- compelled to read and finish the book. That, it's funny that you mentioned that Mastery is a book that's going to be coming up that I'm going to do with uh, Max Shank because he recommended that book to me. Um, so that's, that's a, I think it's like a 22 hour audible book. So it's going to take me a while to get through that <laughs> one, but, uh, I'm sure it's going to be well worth picking up and going through, as you said, uh, Robert Greene. Uh, also I picked up, uh, 33 strategies of, of war, uh, recently, which again, tons of recommendations, just no brainer, easy buy for, for all those books. Absolutely. So uh, let, let's talk about this. And like the number one thing that I wrote down at the top of all my notes, I wrote like I'm always when I'm reading these books, I'm always I always have my notes app on my iPad or my my MacBook open or my iPhone wherever I am. I'm always like editing this huge document for for each one of these books that I read. And the thing that uh, 
really was something that came back over and over and over again. Is like what we uh, when we're trying to do stuff, we we like it's simple, but it's not easy. Like we know what we need to do, but it's really not easy to do it. And with this book, Ryan tells us uh, a, a lot of great philosophical things and then backs it up with, with stories from history, from very successful people, people that triumphed, people that uh, were the people that really molded history uh, as we perceive it today. Um, so simple but not easy is something we're going to come back to uh, a lot. And then as you mentioned before, you know, having this new position, it's an obstacle, but uh, over and over again, it's mentioned in the book, obstacles are opportunities. Those are your opportunities to uh, triumph, to succeed, and to get stronger, and to become uh, better at whatever you do. Um, so maybe we should start and talk about uh, perception. And I'm just going to tee this one off real quick, Nick, with the, the, the start of each one of these sections. Ryan does a really great job describing what perception or what each one of these things is to, to him or for the, the context of the book. So what is perception? It's how we see and understand what occurs around us and what we decide those events will mean. Our perceptions can be a source of strength or of great weakness. If we are emotional, subjective, and short-sighted, we only add to our troubles. Uh, there are a few things to keep in mind when faced with a seemingly insurmountable obstacle. We must try to be objective, to control emotions, and to keep an even keel to choose to see the good in a situation, to steady our nerves, to ignore what disturbs or limits others, to place things in perspective, to revert to the present moment, to focus on what can be controlled. So, uh, perception. What what did you get out of out of that section, Nick? What were some of like the main take homes for for you out of that? Yeah, you know, I mean, it's the first section, and frankly, it's the most important because yes. if yeah. if you can't if you can't master that first part, you can't then derive the actions and will which is the last section we'll discuss, is a very limited capacity resource. And while we can flex the will muscle, it's much easier to flex it when you have a very clear path mm -hmm. that is, if you would, paved with actionable steps. And those actionable steps are derived from how we perceive the world. So I think, again, you know, if people were to reread, it's rereading that first section over and over again, because getting that right, I believe the next two sections really start to unfold. So when I was reading it, a lot of different things started to bubble up in my mind because you hit it on the head. It's a book that philosophically is wonderful. It provides an amazing historical reference point, and thus it creates these nice analogies between actions of someone applied now to modern day, if you would, philosophical take-homes. But as I was reading, I was trying to find, well, if, if I was the one writing this book or if I was to give a presentation on this book, what would I go and, and tell someone to actually do, mm -hmm. right? Because that's the thing that I'm always looking for is what can I go do when I'm done with this book or done with this page or done with this chapter that can make me a better operator, a better husband, a better coach, a better employee. Mm -hmm. And so for this first section, what it reminded me of this three-tiered model. And that's where we kind of think about emotions come to us, right? We can't stop them. Mm -hmm. When someone gives us a dirty look, when someone cuts us off in the road, and Ryan talks about this, we have this primal emotional response. And that emotional response is literally driven chemically. We cannot stop it. 
And I think that's a point that he hammers home is that don't try to fight your emotions. Don't try to fight these, these quick thoughts that jump in our mind, right? They're coming no matter what. And a lot of them are based on past experience, genetics, and all the stuff we really cannot necessarily control. From emotions then emerge feelings, right? Am I happy? Am I sad? Am I mad? And that's how we start to describe, if you would, our emotions. And already, once we can describe an emotion, we can start to control it, Mm -hmm. right? Because we're now perceiving it. And then finally, from feelings come thoughts about that emotion. Well, why am I sad? Why am I pissed off, right? Well, I'm pissed off because this guy or this gal just cut me off, right? And inevitably, it's once we get to that third level of thought, right, where we become aware of our perception. And and really that self-awareness piece is the main element. That's where he really starts to hammer home. You have some actionable opportunities here. Mm -hmm. You can start to control your thoughts, right? You can step back and reflect. My thinking right now is narrow. It's one dimensional, right? Am I thinking clearly? And so I think it's that three level model of understanding emotions. You can't control them feelings, we then start to perceive our emotions. And then finally, it's the thoughts about those feelings that we can start to control. And it's owning that third piece that starts to allow us, as he talks about, to reframe our situation and see the obstacle now as an opportunity for growth. It, it's, I almost started laughing as you read that because you kind of like read some of my notes. Like I wrote, <laughs> I mean, they're just worded a little differently. Like my, my big thing, and this is, the reason why this book is getting such a high grade for me is because it's it's one of the few books that I've I've read and I've not just thought, oh yeah, that's really good information. Like I'll kind of keep that in the back of my mind. The the information from this book and the lessons in this book have stayed front of mind for me. Like they've been yeah. things that have been with me as I wake up every single day, which is really fascinating to me. I'm like, why is this book why is this book sticking with me so much more than all these other books that are fantastic? But like, I kind of just think of it. And then like three months later, I completely forgot about the lessons that are the, the tools that that book was trying to give me. Uh, like you, you were saying, uh, you're saying a couple of things. And I, like, I wrote down step back and compute. Like if once, like when a situation happens, like something like you said, that, that could potentially ruin your day, all right, just take a take a deep breath, step back, kind of remove yourself from the situation a little bit and look at it from the outside in and like try to digest it, compute, like let that stuff go into your CPU and let it kind of compute like really what's going on and not just look at the surface, go a couple layers deeper and potentially have a like a different mindset when it comes to that situation. And it, it is the whole thing that we're going to keep saying, like the, the obstacle is the way the obstacle is an opportunity. If you just flip it like that, whenever something comes up, like if, oh my God, I just got this huge car bill or I just got this this huge business deal that that didn't go through or man I just got hit with this major thing in in life that could could I could easily just let it screw up everything I could let work fall apart I could let social relationships fall apart or I could say all right well I'm going to take this as an opportunity to just prove not only to myself but you know maybe even to to others but it should be personal like this isn't going to get me down. This is just going to make me even better at what I'm doing. This is going to make this project yeah. even better. Like I've seen it with the Fitcast Network. Like nothing's been super smooth with this, 
but I've used everything that's gone wrong or every obstacle as an opportunity to learn and to make this even better than what I wanted it to be at the start. Yeah. So really interesting because, you know, the, the front of mind and the same kind of thoughts popped in my head as I was reading it. And I want to kind of build off that and share one element about perception that for me is just, gosh, it's critical and it might be the most important part of the whole book. Mm -hmm. We've known for a long time now that if you tell kids right, that you can change your brain, you can change the way you think, you can get better, you can modify your current state, that alone is enough for them to do better on test taking. right? Mm -hmm. Just by empowering people with the understanding that change is possible and you can reach a different state, that alone allows someone to operate in a different way. And really, that's what Ryan is talking about. So I want to share a quote uh, that happened uh, that is referred to on page 17 for those following along. It says this, it says, our brains evolve for an, uh, from an environment very different from the one we currently inhabit. As a result, we carry all kinds of biological baggage. And I love it when he says that. <laughs> Humans are still primed to detect threats and dangers that no longer exist. Think of the cold sweat when you're stressed about money or the fight or flight response that kicks in when your boss yells at you. Our safety is not truly at risk here. There is little danger that we will starve or that violence will break out, although the fear, that feeling sometimes seems to be the case sometimes. So basically what it's saying is, and there's a bunch of books on this, that we are still biologically hardwired for fight or flight. Mm -hmm. The problem is, or the reality rather, is that the things that trigger it, <laughs> the person cutting us off, the boss getting mad at us, us getting a bad review, you know, the loan not coming through on your new business, whatever it might be. It's these trivial scenarios, right, that are not going to actually biologically cause us to die, if you would. But how we physiologically respond is as if we are fighting or mm -hmm. we are fleeing. And in doing so, I think just understanding how you are biologically hardwired to respond that way instantly gives you power over that biological response. And again, it goes back to that. You can't control your emotions. You can't control how you feel about that, but you can understand where they come from, why they are emerging, and therefore modify your thoughts about it. And I think that plays two critical roles. And I want to be clear about this. We're going to be giving examples, and we already have, about you know, someone cutting you off in the road. How do you turn that obstacle into an opportunity? Well, I don't know, to be honest with you. You're just pissed off. <laughs> but rather, what I'd like to see is well, you being pissed off drives up you know, cortisol levels. You're more stressed. You go home angry, and now maybe you're not the same parent you need to be for your kids. Mm -hmm. Well, then, therefore, the opportunity is to how do you manage that response so traffic doesn't get you down and you can be that parent? For me, I think the way you manage it is understanding what we just shared, that you can't control that that's how you feel but in knowing that information, you can overcome it because you know where it came from and you know how to suppress it. Conversely, when you're at work and you get a bad review, that obstacle that makes you mad, makes your blood boil, is truly an opportunity to say, well, you know, within that, I know the response I'm feeling is natural. Why did I get the bad review? What are the three or four points? And say, rather than those are three or four knocks, flip it and say, those are three or four opportunities mm -hmm. and ask what's the next best step in each of those categories. Therefore, it doesn't pop up again on my next review, which segues into the, to the second section. You, you mentioned like the getting cut off or like people driving aggressively on the road. And 
I, I swear, if you just kind of like smile and be like, man, that person must either be having a really bad day where they need to drive like that. Like, thank God I'm not feeling like that today. Like it rolls right off. It is literally just trying to remove yourself from the situation and almost kind of like it, it, it's right, right under what you read is like a perfect kind of checklist of stuff. Like uh, it mentions uh, there are a few things uh, to keep in mind when faced with a seemingly insurmountable obstacle. We must try to be objective, to control emotions and keep an even keel, to choose to see the good in a situation, to steady our nerves, to ignore what disturbs or limits others, to place things in perspective, to revert to the present moment, to focus on what can be controlled. Like this if you kind of, again, you have to just change your mindset. And even it's like that weird psychological thing of even if something bad happens, like not like if you find out like your dog dies or something like that, but if something dumb, like again, someone cuts you off on the road or you see someone do something that you don't agree with, if you just kind of like smile, like you're, you're, you actually just become happier. Like you're almost okay. If you just smile, like your body just naturally has a a positive response when you just use the muscles that you would use to smile, even if you're not happy, it's kind of weird. Well, you know, I mean, just again, since we're on a show about books, there's a a new book coming out or actually just came out called presence, bringing your boldest self to your biggest challenges. Mm. And I think she has the second best, at least from a view perspective, uh, Amy Cuddy. And she's really the one that talks about, and almost you could argue that it's slightly the fake it till you make it mm-hmm. type mentality. But understand how you can you can hijack your biology. And she talks about how posture affects you know specific hormones. And there's since been research that maybe has provided a counter argument. But either way, you bring it up, smiling, standing up proud versus mm-hmm. hunching over and having a sad face. This is telling our body something about the state we want to be in. And I think there's a lot to be said in the fake it to the make it. And guys like Dr. Roy Sugarman will talk about to change a mindset of positivity. And I don't want to misquote him, but it's something like, you know, within seven to 10 days, if you think about three things in the morning that you are grateful for, it's very easy to switch your mind from looking at situations as a, a negative first, mm-hmm. but as a positive first. So literally through smiling, through posture, through focused, if not forced, positive thinking about what you are appreciative for on a daily basis, but making it a consistent action can lead to changes in the mindset that I believe are the ones that are being proposed by Ryan in this book. And, and you mentioned the, the the review stuff. Like this is a, a really short story, but um, you know we do certifications for the CFSC, and I did I coached one of the certifications out in in New York, and then we got uh, some email feedback, or Mike got some email feedback because I always give out Mike's email. Like if there's ever feedback, you don't want to give the coaches directly if it's critical on the coach, and you want to give it to Mike directly. Here's his email. You can you can send it to him, and someone sent in feedback. Uh, for, for me, like, you know, saying like they didn't agree with some of the ways that, um, I was delivering the information, um, specifically saying things like, oh, well, you know, here's this thing, but you don't need to worry about that. Like, that's not, not really the focus of today. Like, even though I was just trying to give extra information, but almost really just brushing it off. Like, it's really not even important. I'm just saying stuff. And it, it was really initially something that I was just defending myself. I was like, what are you talking about? Like, that's, the the, the 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 feedback is is it's not good feedback like it's it there's there i don't agree with any of that stuff and that's not how it happened this is how it happened like it was just me defending myself and then like i 
slowly realize like, all right, this is going to be way easier if I just say to myself, like, yeah, like, you know what? I could have done a better job. And then all the other future certifications are way better because of it in, in the, the groups that I coach because I never repeat that mistake again. I just accepted the feedback and then acted on it in the future. And I, I think, though, just to provide another viewpoint on that scenario for you, because I think it's important because people attack things differently. On one hand, obviously, you took it as, as a negative, Kevin, and, and that you, you need to be a better instructor and you need to instruct that scenario differently. But I think an equal learning lesson in that regard that puts a positive opportunistic spin on it is, wow, people learn differently. Mm -hmm. People have different ways with which they want to engage and hear information. So it's not that you were uh, uh, uninformed or inappropriate in that delivery because not everyone sent the email to Mike. Just one person did, right? It was just one person that it really bothered them. Mm -hmm. So in that case, it's, wow, I now understand that there are people out there that have this viewpoint, and I'm going to try to be aware of that viewpoint when I'm meeting people, when I'm identifying who's in the class, and when I go about my my instructing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's it's tough when you're you're. Uh, I I don't want to label myself as a perfectionist, but whenever you get <laughs> feedback that is like anything less than perfect, like it it hurts that much more. I, so. I know it. I know it. You're talking to one too, man. I'm with you. I've had to work my whole life. I should have, I wish I had this book about 10 years ago. So to be honest with you. Um, well, let's, uh, you know, again, I, I feel like we're going to continue to, I mean, we're almost we're like 30 minutes in and we're on the first part of the book. And, and again, like we're really just hitting surface level stuff. This is absolutely a book that you should pick up. And I will mention it right now because I'll probably forget towards the end, but if you want to pick up this book, you'll actually support the network and get it through Amazon at the same great price, but they kick me like 3% back to the to the network. If you go to fitcast.network slash FBC, that's for FitCast Book Club, fitcast.network slash FBC, you get all the episodes on there. You can see in the show notes, there'll be links in there to buy the book on Amazon or Audible, and you can help out the network as well. So I would appreciate that. So uh, you know, again, you know, another big uh, take home point for me was uh, c- control your emotions. Like that's, again, what we were just talking about is controlling our emotions. And uh, the the great, I love the story, the NASA story about not panicking. Um, and I don't even want, want to go through that that whole thing. Uh, the, the story itself, it's stuff like the stories really make this book. Um, but the piece that I took uh, out of it that I put in the notes were, When people panic, they make mistakes. They override systems. They disregard procedures, ignore rules. They deviate from the plan. They become unresponsive and stop thinking clearly. They just react, which is what you were talking about before, Nick. Not to to what they need to react to, but to the survival hormones that are uh, coursing through their veins. Welcome to the source (laughs) of most of our problems down here on Earth. It's a great, great, great block quote. Um. So again, other couple things that I'll run down real quick and then we'll move on. Uh, be Being objective, like always separate yourself from the situation. Alter your perspective. Perspective has two definitions uh, in terms of context, a sense of the larger picture of the world, not just what is immense, uh, excuse me, immediately in front of us. And for framing, an individual's unique way of looking at the world, a way that interprets its events both matter uh, excuse me, both matter, both can be effectively interjected to change a situation that previously seemed intimidating or impossible, <clears throat> excuse me, impossible. That, that whole, that whole first third of the book is 
it's the money to me. And then the other stuff is how to back it up, right? Yeah, yeah. And I think, you know, just to maybe add a, a clothing, closing uh, thought about that section, there's a, there's a one quote by, by Victor Frankl, I think he recommends or mm. he, he references, he says this, his man does not simply exist, but always decides what his existence will be, mm-hmm. what he will become the next moment. By the same token, every human has the freedom to change at any instant. And I love this concept, again, of, of thinking of oneself as one's body, uh, as one's mind, as being moldable. And a long time ago, I started to have this thought. And, you know, I think it's one that at first glance, if we weren't talking about this book, people would be like, what is he talking about? But I always have this statement we joke at our houses, you know, we are not what we are, mm-hmm. meaning what we are is this evolution. It's constantly molding. It's constantly changing. And when I think about the times where I've been faced with a huge obstacle or a huge decision, I think you said it best earlier. You got to step away. You got to give yourself time to think. So especially for those that haven't been faced with those situations, a recommendation that I got a long time ago is when it's very easy to have a piece of information, maybe it's an argument with someone, maybe it's a contract for a new job, whatever it might be, when faced with a big decision, taking that extra day, taking that extra night to sleep on it, creating that separation mm-hmm. allows perceptions to shift and oftentimes give you a, a more informed uh, choice, more informed action. But the biggest thing that I recommend for people and one actionable step that I have always taken is when you find yourself you know, whether it's at work, whether you're writing a blog, a paper, you know, preparing to get on a podcast, whatever it might be, when you find yourself stuck in kind of that, that mental sticking point, literally, quite literally the best way to change one's perspective, to open one's mind is to change literally the environment that you're in. And what I mean by that is if you drive to work one way, drive to work a different way, right? Go for a run when you're at a mental roadblock and you're writing a paper or writing an article. Have a conversation with a number of different people about a scenario or a situation you're dealing with. If you don't know how to navigate your thoughts or your situation yourself, Understand that you are dealing with the faculties that are within your own head. To upgrade those, you have to get something from the outside. Mm. So go to a different place, talk to a different person, try a different route. And quite literally, by being a master of engaging with change and novelty, you provide your brain quite literally with much more, if you would, uh, framework or substance with which to attack problems from different angles. So everything that we just talked about does not matter unless you do uh, what is in the next section, which is action, okay? <laughs> because you can listen to all this stuff, and that's what I think a lot of people do, not not like just in general. Like they read these books on personal development, on business, and they think, oh, yeah, that was a great book. And then they don't do anything that the book suggested. Like they just kind of think of it as a, a great book and then they put it on the shelf and then nothing really changes or maybe things change for a week. Now, this this whole section uh, about action is when we can actually take the steps and start doing what we need to do to implement these things. So action uh, in this book is, is defined, uh, excuse me, action is commonplace. 
right action is not. As a discipline, it's not any kind of action that will do, but directed action. Everything must be done in the service of the whole. Step by step, action by action, will dis, uh, dismantle the uh, obstacles in front of us with persistence and flexibility, will act in the best interest of our goals. Action requires courage, not brashness, creative application, and not brute force. Our movements and decisions define us. We must be sure to act with deliberation, boldness, and persistence. These are the attributes of right and effective action. Nothing else. Not thinking or evasion or aid from others. Action is the solution and the cure to our predicaments. And like the, the way that I always look at this, and it's something that I've talked about before, is this is it's like this in every industry that you're in, in every uh, career that you could be in, in everything that you do in life. You you basically have the people that take action are the people that just get angry, the people that are are angered because they see the success of someone else that they don't think that they deserve it. They see someone that uh, is is in a position that they don't think that they should be in because they're better than them or something like that. But the thing is, is that those people that are usually in those positions of success, it's because you know they they took action, and the people that are left behind that are just angry, the people that are on Facebook just talking you know crap <laughs> about other people, those are the ones that instead of taking action, they're just chose to be angry and to not do, and that's what they're doing about it. They're going to be angry, they're going to complain to people instead of taking that first step and taking action in, in what uh, could put them in the position that they wish that they were in. No, absolutely. Absolutely. I think, you know, with action is a difficult one because oftentimes our mind shoots straight to the end result we want. Totally. And oftentimes that end result is so massive mm-hmm. that we literally get stopped in our tracks as if someone punched us in the gut yeah. and we get so fixated on you know the end state that we don't really give time or focus to the process and I'm, there's a million and one quotes about focus on the process versus the goal versus the outcome and that's really what we're talking about here how do you go about doing that and i would imagine when you first started this kevin if i if we had put the picture in your mind of what you are doing today and said that's what you have to do tomorrow <laughs> it would have been too much to do anything but right. rather you took it step by step to get to now what has become something probably much bigger than you had ever hoped and i think that's what we're all trying to do in our in our prospective lives i mean and with that a quote jumps to my mind that i hear all the time and i try to remind myself of. And that is don't let best get in the way of better. Mm -hmm. And that is just, gosh, if if that was one thing that I think everyone needs to remind themselves of, it's that is, am I putting one foot in front of the other? And I think oftentimes there is a, there's an element that I like to call preparing to act. So for example, you know, when I sat down to write my dissertation, this is the best example I can think of right now, you know, at least for me, it was, a monumental task to, to think that I had to synthesize every relevant research article <laughs> on attentional focus and instruction, put it into a cohesive paper that some of the people that I respect more than anyone else in the world around research are going to read and critique. Mm-hmm. The thought of it almost made me sick to my stomach. And if I had just sat down and started writing, I would not have been successful. So I spend a lot of time around organization, right? Am I organizing the resources required to take action? Mm 
Am I organizing through notes the thoughts required to take action? Mm -hmm. Am I spending time, if you would, outlining the steps that I'm going to take, knowing that those might change, but get some kind of framework down? I think oftentimes, you know, to provide a metaphor, we get on the road and we start driving. We know we want to drive to New York, but we didn't take the simple step of jumping on Google Maps and printing out the map. I literally was just going to like have a metaphor exactly the same as that. You know what I'm saying though? And that, but that's what we got to do. And that's just taking, that's just reverse engineering it Mm -hmm. one step farther and saying, what resources are required to be successful in this endeavor? And then start to say, what do I, what do I, how do I bring those to life what is required on this trip through this process it's like don't just take action take you know smart purposeful action. yeah exactly. purposeful action like don't just say all right well i'm gonna i was just gonna say yeah don't like walk outside your house and not know where you're going like know, know where you're gonna go first and then start figuring out how to get there um and the, the a couple other uh, small pieces that I that I took from this again, great stories like the Amelia Earhart story. Uh, yeah, and, and just like it, per, that is if that if there's one story in this section that you should check out, it, it's that one where you know there there's so many people in this, and I use like the fitness industry just because that's what we're a part of, that's what we kind of know best. But you know, there's so many people that are waiting for that job. They're waiting for the job that they want. They're not okay taking a job that may be the job before the job. They're, they're always just kind of like waiting to get that perfect spot that they want. They want that division one college football position. They want that, you know, uh, professional position that maybe there no one's going to hire them for, but that's the only thing that they want. And they're not willing to take, you know, the D three spot first before getting to D one. Like that's the stuff that you need to be okay with because you got to do like, you have to go through the process. You have to. It's scaffolding. You got to. You have to literally look at it as as stairs, as a ladder, and that's quite a literal metaphor in that regard. Very few people can jump rungs in the in the career ladder. It just doesn't happen. And uh, this is a great quote that I took from the the section: uh, practice, persistence, and also uh, because uh, when you play all the way to the whistle, there's no reason to worry about the clock. You know yeah, I love you that. won't stop until it's <laughs> over. Uh, that every second available is yours to use, so temporary setbacks aren't discouraging. There are just bumps along a long road that you intend to travel all the way down. And this is something that I took out and I read to my middle school kids um, <laughs> because I think it's like, even if they like, they probably forgot it five minutes later, but it's something that I'm going to keep bringing up because that's it, it's something that is easily uh, applicable to them. It's something that they can relate to as, as kids that play sports. Like you never want to stop until the whistle blows. It's what every football coach says. It's what every you know coach tells you, you know, don't, think like the play is over until the whistle blows because that's when someone picks the football up off from the the grass and then runs it the other way into the end zone because they didn't realize they were down it was actually a fumble yeah yeah absolutely i think a a similar if we're on the on the quote side of the book there was one that for me i highlighted and checkmarked three times (laughs) and that was this one the thing standing in your way isn't going anywhere. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You're not going to outthink it or outcreate it with some world-changing epiphany. <laughs> You've got to look at it and the people around you who have begun their inevitable course of doubts and excuses and say, uh, yes. So I love, I love that concept because it brings in one back to not only – here's the second mistake I think people make. Not only do they focus too heavily on the pie-in-the-sky outcome – 
they also put this time constraint on it, that this needs to happen as fast as humanly possible. And again, I bring up his name, Roy Sugarman. I love the way he defines anxiety because that's really what a big part of what we're talking about managing with this book. And anxiety is the gap between what you feel you're being asked to do and what actual resources you have to do it. Mm -hmm. So oftentimes we're thinking of, I have to do this amazing thing as fast as possible and I have no clue how to do it. (laughs) And then all of a sudden the anxiety and the mental roadblocks start to pop in right through the emotional channel and then you just get stopped altogether Mm. versus being able to, again, not put the time constraints on you, understand the problem's not going anywhere and literally start to prepare to act. And that in itself is actionable, which starts to ease and chip away at the anxiety and you just keep going one day at a time. Perfect. Um, let's let's talk about uh, will because will yep. is really the continuous action. That is like yes. not taking action for one day, but it's continuing to take action as you go forward. So, uh, again, the the start of the the, the section starts with uh, will is our internal power, which can never be affected by the outside world. It is our final trump card. If action is what we do when we still have some agency over our situation. The will is what we depend on when agency has all but disappeared. Placed in some uh, in some situation that seems unchangeable and undeni- uh, undeniability, uh, excuse me, undeniably negative, we can turn it into a learning experience, a humbling experience, a chance to provide comfort to others. That's willpower. That's a hell of a way to start this section because. Like for for me with with this section, I took uh, a lot of block quotes and uh, specifically mm. on on the leadership parts uh, as well because that's something that as I get older, like I'm finding that I you know I'm 30, I have people that that I'm trying to to lead at in, in terms of what we do at, at work and the younger people and mentoring and all that stuff. Um, so those were 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 major sections. But um, Nick, I mean, what what was this section? What was this section's like main take home points for you? Get comfortable being uncomfortable. That's the main take home for me with Will. You know, nothing, you know, nothing at the end of the day worth doing is ever going to be easy. I don't care what part of life it is. It's just not going to be easy. And there still, again, we see people who are on the path, the searching tirelessly for the easy, more efficient method. And Mm -hmm. oftentimes I think that the search for efficiency oftentimes can be a search for, for ease of process. And there isn't always an easy way, especially when it comes to personal professional development and the career path. Mm -hmm. So I think, you know, for me, what I started to learn, especially again, in recent years, going through this dissertation process with a family at home is embrace the pain. And right as you get uncomfortable, right as things start to challenge your wits, right as anxiety starts to emerge, right when you are in the thick of it and you don't want to look back because you've already done so much, but you still know you have so much more to do, that's when you know you're about to come out the other side and become a better version of yourself. Mm -hmm. And when you embrace that dark place and just keep pushing forward and flexing that will, you know, it might sound cliche or corny, but the fact of the matter is you are literally putting the pressure into your existence that requires you to, in my opinion, transcend and become a better version of yourself. That's the biggest thing about will, but you also need to be smart Mm -hmm. with how you use your willpower. And while it's not addressed in the book, we understand that willpower at the end of the day, while it seems to be reborn every morning, 
right? It is not a resource that can be flexed all throughout the day. Mm -hmm. So are you prioritizing where possible your day whereby you do the things earlier in the day that you know require the most diligence, the greatest focus, and the greatest willpower, knowing that it's easy to say it in the morning, that I'll do it in the afternoon, but knowing that if it takes a lot of willpower, it's significantly less likely to get knocked out when it's 6 p.m. at the end of a long work day, i.e. getting a workout in. Yeah, I mean that that's the perfect analogy for it and and with, with willpower when when I'm talking to people about it it's like it's basically like chin-ups. Like you can get stronger at chin-ups, okay? But you can't do them all day. You, there's no yeah. way you're going to continuously do sets all day. There's going to be a point where you're not going to be able to get your arms over your head. You're going to be cooked. So you got to really pick and choose when you want to utilize that uh that energy and that strength for for what you're doing and, and focus it. Uh this this is uh, another quote and this is uh kind of the last thing that I have for this section as we're getting close to an hour. Um, if perception and action were the disciplines of the mind and the body, then will is the discipline of the heart and the soul. The will is the one thing we control completely, always. Whereas I can try to mitigate harmful perceptions and give 100% of my energy to actions, those attempts can be thwarted or inhibited. My will is different because it is within me. And, uh, you know, again, we could we could probably talk about this this book forever. Um, it, there's so much that you can take out of it, and there are multiple more pages of notes that I could read. Um, but I think uh, the, this is just one that should be digested uh, yourself with uh, Audible book or or reading it uh, yourself. Nick, I don't know if you have any uh, final words on that section or or the book as a as a whole. If you would recommend it, things like that. Yeah, I, I do have one last bit, and funny enough, it is it is the name of the last chapter, and it is prepare to start again. Mm. I think of all the things that this book puts forth is every morning when you wake up, start again. No matter how bad the previous day was, independent of whether or not you were perceiving the world, acting in it, and executing mass amounts of willpower. If every day you wake up and try to start again, and even if it's just cultivating the mindset of tomorrow I will take action, as long as we start again and we keep perpetuating through thought and through action, forward momentum, inevitably, I believe that will lead to a significantly better version of you and the places you are trying to go than any other mindset. And I believe in that so much. And funny enough, I had read uh, a famous a famous rugby athlete in his daily kind of journal. At the very top of it, Kevin, every single day, wrote those two words, start again. And when I read that, chills on the back. And then when I read it again in this book, right, just a few weeks later, I'm actually going to go get those two words tattooed somewhere on my body in the next month. I have no other tattoos, but that's how much I believe in that concept of everyday start again. Because I believe when I read that, that's what I try to do. I just had never put it in that way. Well, I, 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 I need to, again, this is Best person to talk to about this book, Nick, uh, was you by far. And uh, the other thing that I need to mention is that uh, Marcus Aurelius's uh, Meditations. Uh, that is another book that's always next to my uh, next to my bed that I can always go back to. And this book is one dollar for the paperback. It's a dollar for the paperback version with free shipping from Amazon. 
and it's a dollar for the Kindle version. Uh, and again, it's just the writings uh, of Marcus, and you're going to get to uh, go through those over and over again. It's really great to kind of like read one or two in the morning or before you go to bed and kind of just helps you reframe yourself before you uh, restart or before you, you finish the day that you're you're on right now. Um, if you had to give this a, a star review, Nick, out of five stars, what do you, what do you give in this book? I'm going to give this one a, a strong four and a half. Nice. And the only, the only reason I'm going to knock off a half is I think it's very easy to get lost in the rhetoric yep. and the prose around the wonderful stories mm-hmm. and to be inspired by it. I think it's much more difficult to extract what we've tried to do on this call, which is really what can I go do about it? Mm-hmm. So, And not that that was the intention of it, but but nonetheless, I think it's an amazing book. It's funny that you mentioned that because that's like one of the big things that kind of uh, was a detriment for smarter, faster, better for me was there's just like yeah. you know, the message was almost lost in the stories um, where I just would almost like some more action, action exactly. or, or more clarity with that stuff. And um, I think that's the case with a lot of these books that we read. Yeah, but maybe that's just because they, they kind of have what they want to talk about, but they have to fill up. 250 pages to make a book <laughs> that's fair play right yeah. that's fair play <laughs> i mean it's yeah. uh it's an unnecessary or i guess it's a necessary evil of the the writing process and the publishing business but um nick i mean people can uh check you out on i guess maybe twitter is still the best place at nick winkleman yep at nick winkleman and i'm, I'm hoping no, not hoping. I will. <laughs> action. Yes. In the in the coming months, in the coming months, I am going to have an actual uh, location that people can go and I will start putting more things out there as well as uh, keeping it updated with places I'll be going to speak. So in the in the coming months, there will be a lot more from, from Nick Winkleman. Well, I, I have to ask. I mean, we're going to get more from, from Nick, but did did you bring did you bring your, your tables along with you? Or DJ Mover gonna be <laughs> move air move dj air. move air come on latin yes uh you better believe it kevin it is it is in my small house they're unpacked they're set ready to up. go they are unpacked right. upstairs completely tested i don't know if my my neighbors liked me when we moved it i don't know <laughs> if they're going to continue to like me but they're ready to go and funny enough uh, our girls women's sevens program loves electronic music and they they want apparently some dj lessons so it yes. should be it should be a fun uh, a fun fair of events in uh, bringing move air back so <laughs> well, if, if people want to to check out some of nick's stuff also go to soundcloud.com slash m-o-v-e-r-e and uh listen to some tracks um that that's that's i you, you got to make sure that you're adding to that, right? You're going to, it'll be in the next month. You will definitely have a new, uh, a new mix from, from Dublin. I'm getting closer to Amsterdam. So I'm going to, I'm going to legitimize myself. Oh, yes. Yes. Love it. All right. Um, well, that is going to do it for, for this episode. Like I mentioned before, you can check out all the show notes and all the previous episodes and future episodes at fitcast.network slash F. B, C. You can also get the links for the books in there if you want to pick them up on Amazon and also help out the network at the same time. And uh, I'm not sure what the next book is just yet. I believe I'm going to be uh, teaming up with uh, Jill Coleman to talk about the charisma myth, which I'm really excited to talk about. So I believe that will be the next episode. I can't 
guarantee it, but there's lots of great stuff, uh, including Zero to One with Pete Dupuy of uh, Cresty Sports Performance. Uh, lots of great books and lots of great guests lined up uh, for this show. Nick, thank you so much for for taking the time to, to come on and, and, and talk about this fantastic book. I, I really appreciate it, and it's always great to catch up. No, always an honor. Thanks for all you do, my man. All right, that's going to do it for this episode. Thank you so much to everyone uh, for listening as well. Uh, we'll see you next time and crack open a book. Get better things.